Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The last message I delivered to you before the shutdown and the, all the quarantine rules, the, the last time we were able to meet together in person, I talked about being disrupted and how God's grace is a disruptive force in the lives of believers. I intended to springboard off of that message into a series about being disrupted. What does a life that has been changed by disruptive grace look like? Little did I know that all that talk about disruption would end up being a prophetic utterance. I had no idea that we'd be in for this kind of radical disruption to our lives. And now, you know, they're, they're talking about signs of, of hope and, and possibly relaxing some of the restrictions that we've been under. You know, the day is coming pretty soon, I, I hope, that we'll be able to gather together again as we were designed to gather together in person. And, and I, for one, am, I'm looking forward to that day. You know, we're, we're a month into this new way of doing things, and we're slowly finding our stride, slowly. I, I feel like I'm getting a little bit more comfortable in front of the camera each time that we do this. Uh, just a little, not, not a lot, but a little. Um, we've had to make some adjustments and, and we've had to figure out how to do things differently. And you know, even though the news seems to be turning a bit more positive you know, the last couple of days, the, they are still telling us that we're, we're not quite out of the woods yet. And it may be several weeks yet before we're able to meet again in person. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that we, we need to be prepared as a congregation, as a church family, for, for the long haul. You know, the governor, he's closed school down for the year, and he's restricted gatherings to just members of the same household, and even then only in groups of not more than five if you're, if you're venturing outside. Yeah, I am, I'm very grateful that our civil leaders are working on, on ways to open things back up. And I'm also very grateful that they seem to be really concerned about not moving too quickly. But there's a, a delicate balance that they're trying to strike between getting everyone back to work and back to their lives on the one hand and then, you know, protecting the health and well-being of our loved ones on the other. So, you know, they are moving, they are taking steps, and I applaud that. I think that's great. And they're doing it slowly, and I applaud that also. I think that's really good, too. That's wisdom. This has been disruptive for sure. This has all been different. But, but like I said, you know, we're, we're a month in, and if you're like us, then you're starting to find a, a, kind of a kind of a normalcy to it, if you can call it that. And maybe even there are some silver linings here and there. Now, I, I know that, that we in our family, we're starting to settle into some new rhythms. You know, we're finding time to, to do things that we wanted to get knocked off of our to-do list. Um, we're finding time to do things together, and that's always nice. And there's even some fun in, in what would normally be a very mundane and boring experience. I know just the other day I had to go to the grocery store, and boy, let me tell you, what an adventure that has become. I feel like I'm in survival mode, like I'm in a, I'm in a survival movie, and I've got to go out for a, a, a supply run, you know. Um, when I was at the grocery store, I found some of the marshmallow cereal that we all like to eat at our home. And, uh, you know, no one has had this stuff since before the lockdown. And I, I found a bag of it, and I was like, yes, yes, I got some cereal. Look at what I scored. Um, and gosh, who knew that buying a, a pack of toilet paper could be so thrilling? I mean, I feel like I've got to hide it like it's contraband, you know. Um, uh, lots of disruption, all of that disruption. And I can say to you, 
in the middle of all that with absolute certainty that God meant this. He meant every bit of it for our good to the glory of His name. You know, Job said that, shall we receive the good from the Lord and, and not the evil? And he, and he meant, should, should we take God's blessings and not the disruptions? Should we take the easy and, and should we reject the yoke? Shall we take the light and reject the burden? Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it's still a yoke and it's still a burden. That's, that's, the great, that's part of the great mystery of, of the Christian life. You know, two things that, that seem to, to oppose one another, an easy yoke and a, a light burden. That's the same kind of tension, the same kind of glorious mystery and glorious tension uh, when Paul said that he is sorrowful yet, yet always rejoicing. Sorrow and joy together. Not sequential, but simultaneous. Now, th there is sequential sorrow and then joy. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's joy that is subsequent to sorrow. But Paul isn't describing that. He's describing something altogether different. He's describing something that is uniquely Christian. Something that is only possible by the power of Christ's purchase on the cross simultaneous joy and sorrow. To be sorrowful and joyful at the same time. This is where we get the idea of, of serious joy. Indestructible. Joy that is indescribable. You know, you, you just have a hard time putting words to it. There's such a weight and a gravity to it, and yet it's a joy that lifts us higher and higher, and it elevates our attention, and it, and it brings us higher, and it brings levity and, 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 and uh, good feelings, uh, especially in the middle of real and profound sorrow. You know, grace is a, it is a massively disruptive force. Because it seems to turn everything upside down on its head. And there is a radical, a radical, noticeable, demonstrable difference in the life of a person who has been touched by saving grace. Someone who has beheld the glory and the beauty of Christ. And their hearts have been filled with joy the joy of salvation that, that overflows into love for others and obedience to God. And there's a, a passion to pursue Christ and see Him to be exalted and glorified. Not only in, in your own life, but in others also. This, this is a joy that is magnified. It is, it is made solid when it is shared with others in loving acts of, of sacrifice and service. A disruptive grace that disrupts our lives. And I, I didn't want to preach those messages to a camera. So I, I've spent the last few weeks trying to, to speak directly into the situation, directly into the moment, because I felt that's what uh, I was supposed to do, what I needed to do as a pastor and a minister. But you know, we're, we're past the initial shock of all this. We're past the initial pain of the lockdown and 
as much as I want to be able to see you, and as much as I, I, I want to hear Brother Dub encouraging me on with an amen, and I, and I want to look back over there and I, and I want to see Sister Mary with her hand raised. Oh, I can't tell you how much of a blessing it is for me to look back where, where Sister Mary sits and see her with, with her hand in the air and her eyes closed while I'm preaching because I know that in that moment, the Lord is ministering to her through the preaching of the Word. And it makes my heart leap for joy. My heart leaps for joy for her. It leaps for joy because Christ is being exalted in her. And it leaps for joy for me because, gosh, Lord, that you could even use me, a weak and broken vessel. You know, I, I hope she gets to see these videos. And if you do get to see this, Sister Mary, you're a blessing to me. You all are. And I, I hope you know that. And I'm praying for you. And I love you. And I miss seeing you. But this is, this is where we are. And this is where the Lord has us for right now. And I, I've kind of been bottling this up for a while. For too long, really. Uh, my wife tells me, you've been threatening to preach this. You've been telling them this is coming for a long time. Well, um, time to get started. You know, I tried to start with before the lockdown happened. So I'm just going to roll with it. It's like fire in my bones, and I've, I've got to preach it to a camera, and if I've got to do that, then I'm going to do it because I'm trying to be obedient to God, and I know that joy comes in obedience. Gosh, I've, I've taken up way too much time already. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but I've been, I've been trying to keep these services shorter to about 30 minutes or less or so. Uh, that's because, you know, it's one thing to keep your attention when you're a captive audience in the sanctuary, but it's something altogether different to try to keep your attention when you're at home watching on Facebook. There are literally a million other things that are screaming for your attention right now. And I can look at the numbers and the analytics on the back end, and I can, I can see that the average watch time for these videos that we're doing is only about five minutes. And that, that means that on average, out of all the people that click on the video, I'm only keeping their attention for about five minutes before they keep scrolling or, or start doing something else altogether. Now, I, I admit I, I anticipated this when um, this would probably be an issue when we went to this online service thing. And, you know, it's, it's just the nature of how online media works. I'm not mad about it. That's just, that's just the world that we're, that we're dealing with right now. But I, so I tried to get on the front end of it and tried to address it by working to keep things short but still meaningful. So if you've noticed that the messages have been shorter, and I've, I've had some comments on that, but if you've noticed they're shorter, don't worry. I'm, I'm not trying to slack off on you. In fact, it's actually harder to get things whittled down to a, you know, into a smaller time frame. But I, I am doing it in Intentionally. It's, it's for a reason, just in case you were wondering. Uh, so, I don't know. It's possible I won't make that goal today. We'll, we'll see. Anyway, enough of that. If you've got your Bibles, like I said, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. So the Apostle Paul says in, in this passage, he begins saying, Working with, together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There is a, a lot to be said about that little passage that we just read. 
It's one of those gold mines in the scriptures. It just keeps producing no matter how deep you dig. And, and if the Lord wills, we, we will get to some of those other things. But today, I just want to focus on, on what Paul says in verse 1. He said, I appeal to you. That means I beg you. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. This tells me that there is a way for someone to receive the grace of God that is fruitless. It's ineffective. It's in vain. There is a way to live and think and act that might have the appearance of being Christian, but ultimately it isn't. So, so what is this grace that Paul is talking about? What, what is this thing that, that comes from God that is so disruptive and it, and it transforms lives? It makes them different than they ever were before. What is it that, that can be received but, and, and, and we can boast about it, but we can do it in vain. We can receive it in vain. In order to know that, we've got to go back to the previous verse to see what Paul means. I don't know if you remember back that far, but uh, gosh, it seems like forever ago. But uh, the last message I preached on this before the lockdown uh, was uh, we looked at 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, he called it the varied grace of God, the, the multifaceted grace of God. And I, I spent the whole sermon trying to point out different uh, areas where God has moved in his grace and he's disrupted the situation. Now, you may have your own idea about what grace is, and, and I think we all have our own ideas about what grace is and what grace does, and that's fine. But if your idea isn't what Paul is preaching about here, then you run the risk of misunderstanding, or at worst, misrepresenting uh, the grace of God, misrepresenting the passage that we have here. That's why we have a, a lot of confused Christians and a, a lot of wrong doctrine and frankly we have a lot of dangerous preaching because people don't take the time to read the whole thing. That's the main reason why I don't do uh, traditional devotionals, you know. Um, the, the books that have a, a verse or a, a short passage for each day and you, you read it and you reflect on it and that's fine, you know, that's great for a lot of people. I'm not mocking that. <clears throat> But I know how my mind works. And I know the temptation that I have to read things into the Scripture that was probably never really intended to be there to begin with. Or to take things out of the Scripture that were never intended to be taken out of it. Now, I don't want my daily bread to come to me in little tiny crumbs. Give me the whole loaf and let me chew through that. You know, we got to read the whole thing. we got to read what comes before. we got to read what comes after. So that we know what is the context. We know what is being spoken about. We know what is meant when Paul says, don't receive this grace. We have to go back to verse chapter 5, verse 21, the previous verse. In that verse, Paul says, For our sakes he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake. That's, that's me and you. He, that's God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, made Him, that's Jesus, the Word made flesh, God who dwelt among men, fully God and fully man, 
God made Jesus Christ to become sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Well, hallelujah! I am free. I am made righteous. I'm not guilty anymore. All of my sins are forgiven. I've got a clean slate. He who had no sin, he became sin. So that we who were full of sin, we who were dead in sin, we could be counted as righteous and be given new life. There is a way to boast in that truth, Paul says, that is vain, fruitless, ineffective. Now, I'm, I'm thinking of, of those people who rejoice because they, they can lay claim to the forgiveness that is available in Jesus Christ. But they, they live as if they've never known Him. They're really no different than they were before. The only thing that's changed is their vocabulary. They've changed their confession, but their conviction is the same as it was before. And who wouldn't want that? You know, they hear the message of hope that is found in Jesus. They, they hear the testimonies that, that we have of the, of the freedom and the newness in Christ, and they think, I want that. I want to be free of my guilt. I want to get rid of my shame. I don't want to be accountable anymore. And, and I can get that in Jesus. Jesus can do that for me. I want to wear that crown of righteousness. Sure, sign me up. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? The church... You cannot wear the crown without taking up the cross. This grace is free. It is a gift, but it is not cheap. This will change things for you, radically change things for you. And the more you embrace it, the more things will change. And it will likely be in ways that you never expected. Go back up a few more verses in, in chapter 5. Look at verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation. That's something different. The old man has passed away. He is dead. He is dead in his sin and now he is brand new. The new creation has come. A new spirit. A new life. It's all new. It's like a, a brand new me and, and it doesn't act like or think like the old me. You know, the old man ate to fill my belly and it drank to quench my thirst. Now I eat and drink to the glory of God. The old man he worked to put money in my pockets to spend on things I never really even needed. The new man works to the glory of God so that I can earn to the glory of God, so that I can give for the glory of God. The old man watched whatever pleased my eyes and listened to whatever tickled my ears. The new man knows that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit and I will honor the house of my God. The old man wanted to be prosperous and I wanted leisure. And the new man counts it all joy 
when I am tried, because I know that the trying of my faith works patience. Let me show you. Let, let me see if I can give you a, just a, a little picture of this disruptive grace at work. What does it look like to receive the grace of God, but not in vain? It's effective, alive, and fruitful. If you go down later in the same letter, 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, therefore, will I boast all the more. I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is in anguish. So much so that he calls this the messenger of Satan. He doesn't call it hardship, not, not hunger, not beatings, not threats, but a thorn. A messenger of Satan, the evil one, the enemy. It's like Satan is attacking. This is so bad, Satan himself is here attacking me. And he says, Lord, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want this. It's not comfortable. This is not pleasant. This is painful. Take it away. Three times he pleaded with the Lord about this, but God said, you all know this, God said, my grace is sufficient. That's fascinating because look at what is at stake. God's grace is on the line here. God put His grace on the line. How are you going to deal with that one, Paul? How are you going to handle that, Paul? Is my grace sufficient for you? Is my grace enough for you? You know, I'll tell you what the one says who has received grace in vain. I'll tell you what that guy says. That guy says, no, it, it's not enough. That guy says, if, if this is what your grace looks like, you can, you can keep it. Take it back, because I want my comfort back. You just take it back. I want the pain to go away. You can keep your cheap grace. But not Paul, though. Paul did not receive this grace in vain. See, Paul knew the exquisite and surpassing glory that comes from a life in grace. Paul knew the immeasurable price that was paid for that free gift. He knew it was so expensive and so precious. So he said, when God asked him the question, is this enough for you? Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, that is grace that has not been received in vain. That is radical, mind-transforming, life-giving, joy-producing grace. Could you say that? Could you say, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness? You know, it, it's one of those things that we, we hope and, and we pray we'll, we will never have to be tested in. But what if we are? What if we are tested like that? And I, I know that some of you may feel like that's where you are today because I, I know your situation. You, you feel like, Lord, I don't want this. Take this away from me. And you know what? It's okay to cry out to God like that. It's okay to ask Him for help. He is your shield and your buckler. He is your strong tower. He is your deliverer. It is holy and righteous to cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. But do you trust Him? Do you trust Him to know what is best? Do you love Him? Do you adore Him? Do you praise Him even when He says, My grace is on the line here. Is my grace enough for you? I mean, it, it's free, but it costs so very much. It, is it precious to you? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says that you were bought with a price. And that, he means all of you, the whole person, not just a little bit of you, not just the Sunday morning part of you, not, not just the, the 30 minutes each day that you, you may spend reading your Bible. Every bit of you, every minute of every day, every breath you breathe, every step you take, every thought you think, purchased. And it, it was an immeasurable price that was paid. Do not receive this grace in vain. We have to look in our lives, and I'm, I have to look in my own life, and, and I'm asking you to do the same. Look in your life and ask yourself, is, is His grace enough? Is it, is it sufficient? If I, if I had to stay in this situation, and if I had to endure this pain the rest of my days, until I draw my last breath, is His grace enough? If all I had was the misery that I'm currently in right now and the grace of God, would the grace of God be enough? Would it satisfy? Would I be able to say, Yea, Lord, though you slay me, yet do I trust you? You see, the person who has received the grace of God in vain has no clue what that's all about. Like Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, their eyes have been veiled by the... The, the Lord of this world, they've been uh, blinded to the light that is the glory of, of Jesus Christ. But God has shined His light into those of us who have been redeemed so that we can see the glory of Christ. Do you see the glory of Christ even in the middle of all of your suffering? 
then can you say, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me? That is, that's a disrupted life. That is a life that has been changed, radically altered by grace. It's not cheap. But it is oh so precious. So Father, we come to you and we thank you for this precious gift you've given us. God, I ask you to rest upon our hearts right now. Show us the immeasurable worth of your grace. How radically sufficient it is. Bless us now and keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Church, I love you and I am praying for you. And if you need anything, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We are here for you. We are a family. We are part of the family of God together. So this is Sunday. If you know, normally we'd take up an offering, um, but uh, we're not together. So I encourage you to make use of our online giving platform. You can give your your tithes and offerings there. Many of you have dropped them by the church, and I'm we're grateful to you for that, for your faithfulness in your giving. God has given us great wealth to be stewards over. We're the wealthiest. Even the poorest among us are wealthier than most of the planet. It's, it's, it's crazy when you think about the stuff that we have versus other parts of the world. And we've been given this great wealth to be good stewards over. And I just want to say thank you and I want to commend you in your stewardship of what God has blessed us so greatly with. But more than things, more than stuff, He has blessed us with His grace. And it is a grace that creates joy, that overflows in love for others. So in all your giving, give joy. I love you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.